hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm. What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. You grab a product off the shelf. Maybe it promises to help with bladder control, take off 10 pounds, erase your wrinkles, or boost orgasms. You assume it's going to do what it claims to do because it's got the FDA seal right there on the package. And the FDA seal is proof that a product is not only safe, but actually works, right? Actually, wrong. It's a surprise to most consumers that the majority of over-the-counter products have not gone through any kind of testing to make sure their claims are legitimate. Look more closely at that reassuring blue FDA logo. There's a good chance it doesn't state that the product is FDA approved, but rather FDA cleared, listed, or registered. And you need to know the difference. But first, I'm going to take you back to the days before the FDA existed. I learned about the history of the FDA when I was preparing a lecture on the impact of estrogen on skin, and I discovered that at one time, it was common for over-the-counter face creams to contain estrogen to decrease wrinkles. I get into that in episode 13, which is all about what happens to your skin in menopause and how to make it better. But suffice it to say that in the 1950s, estrogen was the key ingredient in many over-the-counter face creams, which is why they work so well. Estrogen-laced face creams were not only marketed to older women to decrease wrinkles, but also to women in their 20s and 30s to prevent wrinkles. But that all came to an abrupt halt when the FDA got involved in 1962. More on that later. The original Food and Drugs Act was passed by Congress in 1906 and signed by President Theodore Roosevelt. There was nothing stipulated about safety or efficacy of drugs and products, the law only required accurate labeling of what something contained. The purpose was to control interstate commerce of misbranded and adulterated foods, drinks, and drugs. It's actually not strange that there were no requirements to prove efficacy, since in the early 1900s, the concept of a clinical trial didn't exist. There were no studies in which people would take a new drug and compare it to people taking a placebo drug to prove that it worked and it was safe. New drugs were simply released to the public by the manufacturer based on their claims that it would treat an illness or condition. As far as testing, it was pretty random. It wasn't unusual for physicians to try a new drug on themselves first. There's even documentation of male doctors taking estrogen to make sure nothing bad happened. Evidently, they did not list breast development under the heading of nothing bad. No surprise, with minimal or haphazard testing prior to selling a new drug, bad things did happen. In 1912, Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup to calm teething babies worked really well and was extremely popular. Unfortunately, the active ingredients, morphine and alcohol, made it a little too soothing, resulting in the deaths of thousands of babies. Although widely included in over-the-counter medications at that time, labeling never warned consumers about the presence of alcohol, heroin, cocaine, morphine, or opium. The Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup to calm teething babies disaster 
prompted the passage of the Shirley Amendment, which prohibited labeling medicines with intentionally false claims. Again, at this time, no testing or proof was required before release of a product. In 1937, another disaster occurred when a popular antibiotic, which in addition to sulfa, contained diethylene glycol, otherwise known as antifreeze, killed over 100 people, including many children. And then there was the mascara that dissolved the corneas of and blinded hundreds of women. It was those kinds of events that finally prompted the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938, which required new drugs to be, quote, approved prior to marketing. It was really the beginning of the modern FDA. So there were two parts to this act. For one, for the first time, drugs had to be tested before they were brought to market in order to make sure they were safe. The second thing was that drugs had to be labeled with specific directions. When we, we take for granted that when we get a prescription, it tells us how much to take and how often to take it. But before 1938, those directions did not exist. This was also the beginning of requiring a prescription for drugs. People could no longer just walk to the corner drugstore and request any medication they wanted. Notice I didn't say anything about a drug proving that it worked. At that point, FDA approval did not require that a drug be proved effective, only that it would not cause harm. And it wasn't until 1962 that a drug actually had to prove effectiveness in order to gain FDA approval. So back to the estrogen and face cream story. In 1938, when the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act was passed, it was unclear if hormone creams were in the drug category or the cosmetic category. So they were pretty much under the radar until 1949, when the FDA came out with a position statement about estrogen face creams. They were, quote, skeptical of the ability of these creams to accomplish the results promised but not in a position to disprove their claims. They went on to say, the FDA does not look favorably upon the distribution of these creams for lay use, but possess no conclusive evidence that harm had resulted from the use of creams containing the amounts of estrogens found in these creams on the market. They acknowledge that, quote, there is definite support for the anti-wrinkling effect produced by the use of hormone cosmetics based on the thickening of the epidermis, plumping of the collagen fibers, and then went on to say that the anti-wrinkling action of hormone creams was more noticeable in older age groups. In other words, they acknowledged that these creams seemed to work, but they were disturbed by the lack of safety data. As a result, in 1962, they decided to regulate the products by requiring that they had no more than 10,000 international units of estrogen, a number they picked randomly and was way below what most creams contained. That and other regulations made the creams cost prohibitive to sell, and they disappeared from the market. But it actually wasn't until 1993 that estrogen in face cream was prohibited. By the way, since then, there have been over 23 placebo-controlled studies evaluating the impact of estrogen on the face, which demonstrates both safety and efficacy in postmenopause women. But today, there are no FDA-approved estrogen creams on the market. They can be gotten with a prescription from a compounding pharmacy. But I digress. So, cut to present day and what the various categories, FDA-approved, FDA-cleared, FDA-listed, or FDA-registered mean starting with FDA approved. 
FDA approved is by far the toughest category to be in and doesn't apply to most over-the-counter drugs. FDA approved prescription drugs and medical devices are products that are used to treat specific medical conditions. This is the important part. Treat specific medical conditions like migraine headaches or osteoporosis. These products have to go through an incredibly arduous, long, and expensive approval process to demonstrate not only that the product treats whatever the specified medical condition is, but also that the benefits outweigh the risks. The average time it takes for a drug to get to your pharmacy is 15 to 25 years and requires hundreds of millions of dollars for research, development, and clinical trials. The FDA doesn't do the testing of these drugs. They simply review the testing process. That means the pharmaceutical company has to pay for all the research, development, and pre-FDA approval testing. And despite years of time and insane amounts of money, most drugs never make it to the gate, either because they've not been shown to be safe and effective or the pharmaceutical company abandons because it's just too costly and takes too long to do the required testing. Testosterone for women is a good example. Early trials of testosterone showed that it improved libido in postmenopause women and was safe. But when the FDA required additional long-term safety data that would have cost millions, the company decided it wasn't worth it and abandoned the product. I can promise you that testosterone for men did not require the same kind of testing. This required testing also explains why drugs are approved for treatment of a very specific condition. For example, Local vaginal estrogen is approved for the treatment of vaginal atrophy and painful intercourse. Every single local vaginal estrogen also treats bladder symptoms, such as urinary urgency or recurrent urinary tract infections. But it never went through FDA approval for those conditions, so the label does not reflect that and they cannot advertise it. Your doctor can prescribe it for that purpose, a practice known as off-label prescribing, but the company cannot mention the bladder benefits in any of its marketing materials. Ditto birth control pills. Birth control pills are only FDA approved to prevent pregnancy, even though they also get rid of period cramps decrease heavy menstrual bleeding, and reduce rates of ovarian and uterine cancer. Why not get birth control pills approved for all those other benefits? Because it would take years and millions of dollars to do so. And from the point of view of the pharmaceutical company, why go through all that trouble when doctors can legitimately prescribe them to treat whatever they want without the blessing of the FDA? Today, roughly 30% of birth control pills are prescribed for non-contraceptive purposes all without FDA approval. Moving on to the next category, FDA cleared. Most over-the-counter products, as I mentioned, are not FDA approved. They are FDA cleared. Also devices as opposed to medications are FDA cleared, not FDA approved. There are three classes of FDA clearance. Class one includes products that essentially have no risk and require no regulation, like dental floss. Class two products require some clinical trial data to demonstrate safety and effectiveness. Condoms fall into this category. Class three is for devices that are for medical use, are potentially high risk, and are generally only used by physicians. A heart valve placed in surgery is a class three device, and like prescription drugs, requires full FDA approval prior to being cleared for use. However, there's a loophole. Class two devices are eligible for FDA clearance if they're similar to a device that the FDA has already classified as FDA cleared, 
even if the new device is intended to be used for a different purpose, and even if the original device was approved many years before. This rule was established so that a new brand of condoms didn't need to get its own FDA clearance since other condoms were already FDA cleared. It makes sense and it's legitimately used to launch many products. But like most loopholes, this loophole can be highly problematic. And the reason that an FDA cleared product is likely to be safe, but doesn't necessarily do what it claims to do. Case in point, intimate rose dilators state that they are the only vaginal dilator, which is FDA registered. Their website proudly displays a large FDA logo. Very reassuring. Except when I went to the FDA site, the Intimate Rose listing says their dilators are cervical dilators. Now, last time I checked, the vagina and the cervix were not even remotely the same thing. This was very clever on their part. They realized the only way to get that reassuring FDA logo was to say that their product was similar to existing products. But the reason no other vaginal dilators are cleared is because they don't need to be. It's not required. So they went with cervical dilators, instruments that are FDA cleared. Cervical dilators are metal instruments that are used in the operating room to dilate the cervix to gain access to the uterine cavity, like during a DNC. Vaginal dilators are used at home to facilitate relaxation of pelvic floor muscles that surround the vagina. They're not even remotely the same thing. And how did the FDA miss that one? I have no idea. But the Intimate Rose people have taken full advantage of this FDA error. And if you would like to see the FDA listing, I put the link in the program notes. They get an F for sleazy, slimy, misleading business practices and deserve to be boycotted. So there's FDA approved, FDA cleared, and then we get to the third category, FDA registered or listed. This final category is the biggest problem since it includes devices and drugs that make claims about wellness and fitness rather than treating a specific medical condition. Because there are no claims that it treats a medical problem, these products don't require a prescription and don't need to go through the FDA approval process. For example, a device that claims to tighten the pelvic floor, but markets itself as treating urinary incontinence, a medical condition, would need to be FDA, FDA cleared. If the exact same device claims to enhance intimacy, it only needs to be registered. So the type of device does not determine the FDA category. The claim that it makes determines the category. This explains why so many products use meaningless vague terms like enhancing intimacy, easing menopause symptoms, or my favorite, improving feminine hygiene. In the case of FDA-approved products, the FDA determines the language that the company uses and what the product label says to make sure it reflects what the FDA has approved it to be used for and to ensure that every single side effect is listed. And that's why when you see a prescription product advertised on TV, there's that long list of terrifying side effects. The FDA requires that the company specifically say those things. In the case of an FDA-registered or listed products, the company and their marketers, not the FDA, determine what language is used on the packaging and what the device claims to do. Since scientific studies aren't required, they're not performed. Why would a company spend millions of dollars on a study that might prove their invention doesn't actually eliminate wrinkles or reduce hot flashes? Not to mention, they're certainly not going to put any possible complications. Similarly, the FDA doesn't regulate vitamins, herbs, or dietary supplements, which is why so many products claim to simply promote health. 
or boost your immune system, meaningless phrases, as opposed to treating a specific illness. All those potions and lotions that are sold on websites that claim to reduce hot flashes, no testing required. One product that got nailed for making a medical claim was the Jade Egg, which is sold as one of the many worthless products on Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand, Goop. The Jade Egg is supposed to be placed in the vagina, where they claimed that it would balance hormones, increase bladder control, regulate menstrual cycles, and maybe even help prevent depression. No wonder it was a bestseller. Needless to say, the only thing that a Jade Egg does is deplete your bank account by about $66. After the California FDA dinged them for making false claims, Goop paid $145,000 in penalties, which is nothing. I mean, not nearly enough. And the site still sells Jade Eggs without the wellness claims. But it doesn't matter. Thousands of women still buy them, believing that there is a benefit. And Gwyneth Paltrow is laughing all the way to the bank. While jade eggs are relatively harmless, unless they happen to get stuck in your vagina, they're only one example of the thousands of products that line the pharmacy shelf and pop up in your browser, bombarding desperate people with promises. Just last year, the FDA sent warning letters to multiple companies that were illegally selling products that claimed to prevent or cure Alzheimer's disease, stating, these products may be ineffective, unsafe, and could prevent a person from seeking an appropriate diagnosis and treatment. If you're confused, you're not alone. And it doesn't help that many products will say they're FDA approved when in fact they're simply listed. So a healthy skepticism is appropriate. When in doubt, a visit to the FDA website is in order. And while we're on the topic of misleading labeling, phrases like clinically tested, doctor tested, or doctor recommended are completely meaningless. Doctor tested means they paid a doctor to use it on a few patients and the doctor said, I didn't notice any problems. Doctor recommended means they paid a doctor to recommend the product. Clinically proven? The phrase clinically proven does not indicate that the product underwent actual scientific studies. Clinically proven is usually based on marketing studies, meaning they gave the product for free to a bunch of women, had them use it for a few weeks, and then asked them if it worked. This is particularly popular when it comes to wrinkle creams and other products that lend themselves to before and after photos. It's amazing what a makeover professionally applied makeup and Photoshop can do. A real study would be a randomized controlled trial, or RCT. As an example, if you were to do an RCT for a winkle cream, you take 100 women and biopsy their skin prior to using the medication. You then give half the women real wrinkle cream and the other half fake wrinkle cream without telling them if they're getting the real deal or a fake. You then do a post-treatment biopsy and have it evaluated by a dermatologist who does not know who got the real cream, and who got the fake stuff. To be legitimate, the study needs to get evaluated by scientists that had nothing to do with the study, and then finally it needs to be published in a scientific journal. The marketing study costs no money, takes no time, and proves nothing, but makes for great advertisements. The real study costs tens of thousands of dollars and takes a year or more, and in many cases ultimately proves that the product doesn't even work. Finally, under the umbrella of things worth knowing about FDA classifications is the concept of class labeling. This is a huge problem. Many drugs are affected by class labeling, but in my world, the most egregious example is in the case of local vaginal estrogen creams, rings, tablets, and inserts. 
If you're someone who reads the fine print before you take a new medicine, the list of risks on your local vaginal estrogen product will convince you that it is not worth getting blood clots, cancer, and dementia just to get rid of vaginal dryness and have a decent sex life. But FDA class laboring requires all products with the same ingredient to have the same warning, even if the risk has never been demonstrated in a particular product. In other words, just because something is listed as a risk doesn't mean it's a risk. For example, taking oral systemic estrogen therapy can increase the risk of developing a blood clot. That risk has never been demonstrated in the use of transdermal estrogen product. That risk has never been demonstrated in any vaginal estrogen product. Yet it's right there on the label because the FDA requires that a blood clot warning be on every product that contains estrogen. Every single one of the warnings on vaginal estrogen labels is based on risks associated with systemic oral estrogen. None of them are true. Listen to episode 11, Vaginal Estrogen is Not Poison. You'll feel much better. So that's my rant of the day. The FDA is important and we need regulation to protect consumers from sleazy companies that want to sell you worthless products. The FDA just needs to do it better. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. See you.